ESPN Radio. Bruzarian's announcing he's stepping down after three seasons in Tampa Bay. Defensive coordinator Todd Bowles being promoted to the head coaching job. Bruce said he had achieved everything that he wanted to as a head coach. The thought of perhaps Tom Brady retiring and then having their head coach retire would have been a lot for that organization all at once. Bruce Arians loves Todd Bowles. Loves him. Coach Arians put this in motion even before Tom Brady made the decision to come back. Tom comes back and then he says this is the right time to do it. ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Jason Fitz. That's him at Amber W790. That's me. You can also join the conversation on the Canty Collin line at 1-888-SAY-ESPN. That is 888-729-3776. We are spending a lot of today's show talking about the breaking news out of Tampa. The Bruce Arians is no longer the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is instead Todd Bowles, who, of course, has been uh, upgraded from D.C. to the head man there. Byron Leftwich still stays as the offensive coordinator there in Tampa. ESPN Radio is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats Life Happens Live. Bruce Arian spoke at a press conference today, and he knows that much has been made about the timing of this. It's a bit strange. We wait to retire until after Tom Brady unretires. He addressed the timing of this announcement. Thought about it after the season, but again, it, it wasn't right. Um, obviously, going through the combine, going through all that process, um, trying to build next year's team without Tom. But then when Tom said he'd come back, it's like, now it's now it's easy. Now it's easy. We're in the best shape we've ever been. Uh, it, it's a, no better time to pass the torch than now. I don't know what February brings. All right, but I know what today brings. And it makes me really happy. So I guess in essence, what he's saying there, Jason, is that he wanted to leave the organization in the best possible way he could. And he felt like stepping down right after the organization lost the greatest quarterback of all time. And then also losing the head coach on top of that would have left the organization in a really bad spot. It's a nice little story. I don't know if it's one that Todd Bowles is particularly happy about because if you're Bowles, you're thinking, hey, I could have handled that, right? You didn't You didn't need to stick around because you thought the organization was going to go up in flames without you and without Tom Brady. But I guess I understand what Bruce Arians is trying to say there, that when Tom Brady came back, that there's that structure in place. Other guys all started coming back when Tom Brady announced that he was unretiring. They kind of got the gang back together, and that's an easier transition for Bruce Arians to make, knowing that he's setting Todd Bowles up for success and not failure. In some ways, sure, because it's a stacked roster and because he's making sure the guy he wants to get the job gets the job. But the other side of it is I'm a big fan of synergy whenever there's change within a franchise. So 
uh, if you're a team that's looking to fire your your general manager and your head coach, I believe in doing that in a, the right way. Like have your GM out first and let the new GM pick the new coach. Like I want everybody to be on the same page, not because I care as much about them being on the same page as I do eliminating excuses. If it doesn't work, I don't want a GM to be able to say, well, that wasn't really my coach. And then all of a sudden he hires another coach and it's now you've wasted extra years. If you're Todd Bowles, you're getting this great second opportunity to, to be a, a head coach where you're going to come in with the Buccaneers and you're going to get that chance with a loaded roster to do things that you weren't able to do either with the Dolphins or the Jets, right? So like suddenly you're getting this awesome opportunity, but you're not doing it with your staff. You didn't pick the strength and conditioning guys. You didn't pick the assistant coaches. You didn't do all of the things that are in that massive booklet when you go into an interview and you say, I want this job and here's my vision. Instead, they're handing you the job and saying, now execute Bruce's vision. So now you have a built-in excuse. If everything goes to hell this year, then Bowles looks around and it's like, well, I'm more of this type of a leader and I needed more people that saw my vision my way. And all of a sudden you start this revolving door where everybody's not on the same page at the same time. Like this worked out easily for Bruce Arians because he can walk away with a clean conscience and say, hey, I left you in a great position. But if you're Todd Bowles, you're looking around saying I'm inheriting somebody else's work and now I have to finish it their way. But that work is pretty good that you're inheriting, right? That work is not far removed from a Super Bowl ring. So there's that portion of this conversation where Bruce Arians, I guess, has set you up for success in that sense. And you're right. He probably feels like, hey, I set you up for success. Don't mess it up. All Todd Bowles has to do is not mess it up. Whereas most head coaches come in and, to your point, have to rebuild everything from the ground up. Todd Bowles comes in. Everything's already built for him. He just has to not mess it up. I think that the reason maybe Todd Bowles wouldn't mind that structure, though, is because he's not coming in from the outside. He has been intimately part of how things are structured there in Tampa. And I have heard reports coming out of Tampa that he has a very loud voice in Tampa. I heard Diana Rossini talk about it this morning on Greeny as well, where apparently Todd Bowles was one who already had a lot of control and a loud voice inside that locker room as well. So there was great respect and deference from Bruce Arians to Todd Bowles. So it's not like Todd Bowles is coming in and taking over something that he had no part whatsoever in creating. It does. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just my counter to that is, you know, we hear guys like Teddy Bruschi say that, hey, Todd Bowles is more of the Belichick type, more of a disciplinarian like that's not Bruce Arian's style. You're right. He can have a huge voice in there, but he's the other guy. Like it's, there's a difference. There's a reason that Batman and Robin exist, but nobody goes and flocks to see the Robin movie. Like some people make really good Robins and don't make great Batman. Right. Like, and so now all of a sudden the guy that's been the other voice gets to be the primary voice, but he has a different style, different leadership. So now he needs different people to step up and be his sidekick. Like I, I think we're just presuming a lot of things about the ability to move up and have it be perfect and be exactly what he wants. But, you know, the other side of it is the, the defensive coordinator position is now going to be lesser than it was. So, like, all of this is part of the change that happens. Well, T, people are telling us that he has a very different style of leadership. Teddy Bruschi being one of those who says that Todd Bowles' style reminds him of a little team up north in the same division. Here's Teddy Bruschi. There's a lot of Bill Belichick and the way he goes about things that is in Tom Brady. If um, just by the way, you know, his, his detail and the way he follows things, it's the way he was brought up. It's the way his football foundation was poured, if you will. So, yes, 
you want to experience something. I mean, you, you go through it for 18, 19 years. It's like, man, you can't just, it's hard. You got to have thick skin to go through that for so long. So you want to go experience it somewhere else. They do. He does that. And then you, you realize there's another way to win. But then there's a, you start to realize which way do you prefer. And I think most definitely the way that Tom Brady prefers is the structured disciplinarian type of approach, not maybe over the top that it was maybe in New England, but just more of a structured disciplinarian approach that possibly, and most definitely, uh, Todd Bowles can probably do a little bit more structured than Bruce Arians. I don't know why we're making the assumption that, frankly, that's what Tom Brady prefers, other than the fact that that's what Tom Brady was working under for a whole long time in New England there. I don't I don't really know why we're jumping to that conclusion, though, that that's the preference there. But to Teddy Bruschi's point, if this was Tom Brady's decision, then maybe there was something about the way that Bruce Arians does things that wasn't vibing with what Tom Brady wants for that organization. But, of course, Jeff Darlington just told us emphatically that this was was not Tom Brady's decision. Yeah, and that's the part. Like, Jeff didn't mince words. I mean, he made it very, very clear. So, like, this is one of those things, and, and I'm the worst neighbor in the world. Like, I'm one of those guys, like, when everybody comes in and says, oh, did you see that uh, Jim over there is building a shed? And, like, what's he going to put in the shed? I'm like, I don't care. That's that's his, his job. Like, I'm not a drama person. I don't really flock to drama. But sometimes you do look around and you say, there's just too many coincidences for this not to be dramatic. I, I, I would agree with you, but then I got Darlington saying there is literally nothing to see here. So I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what to believe either. I know Darlington's position is not nearly as fun as yeah, the position where fast. everything's dramatic and Tom Brady's demanding that Bruce Arians is not his coach anymore if he's unretiring and it's all part of some massive plan to eventually somehow in a year end up the owner of the Miami Dolphins. That's all a lot more fun. <laughs> But Jeff Darlington is telling us that at least half of that may not be true. Coming up next, how does the Todd Bowles hire comply with the Rooney rule? There's a lot to unpack in terms of that portion of this story as well. That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. A lot to unpack when it comes to the head coaching change in Tampa Bay. And one of the angles of this story is that we all have realized that there is this odd loophole to the Rooney Rule, where essentially you can effectively completely circumvent the Rooney Rule in its entirety. Now, of course, we know the Rooney Rule. Although, you know, it has its flaws and certainly the effect of the Rooney rule has been called into question, particularly of late and and in Brian Flores' lawsuit that was so publicized. But the Rooney rule at its inception, Jason, the idea behind it is that you are required to interview minority candidates. And now you're you're required to interview two, I believe, right, minority candidates during your head coaching process. And apparently there's this loophole that we just learned from the situation with the Bucks. Now, it doesn't really apply here because, of course, Todd Bowles ends up getting hired as the head coach there, and, of course, he is a minority candidate. But it shows that there could be a problem here in the future where the Bucks hire Todd Bowles to replace Bruce Arians after March 1st, and because Bruce Arians steps down so late, they don't have to interview anybody at all. So they don't have to 
comply with the Rooney rule at all. They can just name who they want as head coach. It is strange that there would be this caveat that would have been cut out to begin with with the Rooney rule in terms of March 1st. Well, and it it sets precedent. And that's all I ever care about. Like in these situations is what message does it send for the future? And so where this is complicated is the right outcome came from this for anyone that's a supporter of the Rooney rule. Like that this was the a situation where you're looking at a qualified minority candidate that got the job because the organization believed not only was he the most qualified, but that he could lead them and he is a minority. So like all of this speaks to the Rooney rule, the, the concept of diversity working. Right. But then the other side of it is I look at the precedent that's set and Jeff Darlington mentioned it like what what prevents right now? Jerry Jones from saying, you know what, Mike McCarthy, not all that good. Sean Payton, good. I'll hire him today. And then I don't have to go through a single, uh, I don't have to go through a single step. I don't have to interview anybody I want. What prevents a team that has a coach essentially in waiting from sitting down and saying, hey, at the end of the season, we're going to give you the job. So what we want to do is we want to keep everybody in place. We will make the staff changes that you want made. And after March 1st, we'll make it official. Like this is such a dumb and I I, I can't find any reason uh, why the league would allow a loophole like this to just be there now uh, it has been pointed out that after March 1st clubs are under no obligation to grant permission for a coach under contract to interview with anyone so part of the reason is that there you know you can't necessarily build a staff right now but you can't have a loophole here that lets a coach be fired or quit after March 1st and then suddenly just allow any rule to be thrown away. I'd be interested to hear from the NFL why this loophole exists. I mean, there must be a reason. They didn't just pick March 1st out of the sky. There's got to be some reason that they felt the need to have this caveat in there that after a certain point, you don't have to go through the hiring process, period. It sounds like you don't have to interview anybody, period. It's not just as it pertains, of course, to the Rooney rule. And so why would that exist? The only thing I can come up with, Jason, and this is just me totally theorizing with no qualified sources whatsoever. It's my favorite thing to do. The only thing I can come up with is that maybe they decided that there needed to be some sort of expedited process for teams that found themselves in the unusual position of a coaching change after March 1st because who in their right mind would be looking to actually hire a coach after March 1st unless there was some sort of unusual or unique circumstances, i.e. a coach gets sick and has to step down. Something terrible happens and you have to make a change at that position and now you're so far into the coaching carousel and we're so late in, you know, in, in well into the next league year now that you want an expedited process for teams to be able to address that position and address it from within, within if they want to without having to go through the whole rigmarole of hiring candidates. It's all I can come up with, but I would be really interested to hear what would be the purpose of this. So I've, I've gotten a text uh, from a buddy that, that I think has pretty good knowledge on this. And two things, March 1st, because partially in part, because much of the talent pool in which the club would seek out potential candidates is largely unavailable. So the talent pool is less, but also importantly, If a club wishes to discuss its head coaching opportunity with an assistant coach whose playing season is concluded and who's under contract to another club, the assistant club's employer coach does not have to grant permission after March 1st for any interview of any sort. So it becomes so difficult to interview anybody after March 1st because they don't have to give you permission. Why? That's the the follow-up. Like, I, I... I, that's what I don't understand. It also, I understand that okay, the pool... Okay, so well, just to stop you there, just, it, so, just to make sure I understand this. So basically what you're saying is 
you're not going to be able to interview people after March 1st anyways, who are coordinators around the league. So we can't make you require with the, you know, we can't make you comply with the Rooney rule because there's just not enough people to interview sort of thing. Yeah, that's what it looks like because teams don't have to allow people to be interviewed and because there won't be enough people available to make a pool of qualified candidates. That, to me, is a little stunning. Like, in in, in the entire portion of it, why the NFL, frankly, would ever be able to block, and I know they can from their, their agreements, but why an offensive coordinator, a defense coordinator, quarterback's coach should ever be blocked from being able to interview for a head coaching opportunity? Like, that is such massive career advancement. I understand that it makes everybody chase their tail in the way that these staffs are built, but uh, in the world of always loving individual advancement for any person that's working hard, like, I can't imagine, uh, God forbid, but just insert coach name here, drops dead tomorrow you're telling me that we're going to limit the ability of other people to go in and just interview for that job because they're under contract well you do i mean you just you name an interim coach is what you do and and you wait until the pool opens back up i mean that's that's typically how it is handled i understand it's strange it's hard to relate to any other career or profession because of course you know now in the profession you and I are in uh, you're often prohibited frankly from having discussions with other companies or seeking other jobs uh, for a period of time so it's not unheard of in other professions but I guess in football they just don't want the distraction of all of these teams searching for candidates whether it for head coach or even for coordinators because of course then there's another carousel that would come from stealing a coordinator from another team head coach during the season what does that mean I guess with all the distraction they just want the hiring cycle to occur during a specific portion of the year and I also wonder frankly if some of that it, it makes sense because of terms of building your staff and everything also it makes a pretty good offseason story Jason Fitz let's be honest and having the NFL a year-round sport because the offseason is so darn interesting is not a bad thing for the NFL so maybe there's a little of that going on as well I do think it's interesting when we talk about the Rooney Rule component of this though with Tampa because the way that Bruce Arians did things in Tampa worked he circumvented the Rooney rule and stepping down after March 1st, but he didn't need the Rooney rule in effect. And so I think that that's interesting here because he had the most diverse staff in all of the NFL, four black coordinators, assistant head coaches, two women position coaches as well, uh, promoting diversity, something that has been a cornerstone for Bruce Arians. And of course, Todd Bowles gets the job. So in effect in Tampa, because his staff was so diverse, they didn't need to be forced to hire minority candidates because, of course, the best candidates were already there and they were already incredibly diverse in terms of the pool to pull from anyways. So the Rooney Rule didn't need to be instituted here, but I do understand the concern is that not everybody operates the same way that Bruce Arians does. Right. A loophole is a loophole, and now it's a dangerous loophole because they didn't need it. For somebody that just doesn't want it, now they found a way around it. A lot to unpack when it comes to this situation in Tampa. But coming up next, there's always stuff to unpack with the Los Angeles Lakers, so we do that. That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Jason Fitz, at Amber W790. You can also join the conversation on the Canty Call-In line at 888 888- Say ESPN, that is 888-729-3776. We have spent a lot of time on the Tampa Bay Bucks. Let's talk about a different type of Bucks. And for that, mm. we bring in our friend Andre Snellings, ESPN senior writer covering all things NBA. Dre, 
these Milwaukee Bucks, are they getting slept on? We're talking about the defending champs, and nobody's been talking about them this season. Yes, they're getting slept on. Um, and by the way, thanks for having me. I always love to hang out with the peoples. Um, they're, they're getting slept on in part because I think in the season after winning the championship, they no longer have to prioritize the regular season. Like you see that a lot with, with champs. They've come out in the regular season and kind of, you know, worked their way through it early on. There were some injuries and they were, you know, maybe not necessarily going full blast. And so they haven't been just dominating number one seed like they've been a lot of the last few years. But you look up, and with about a week left in the season, they're right there at the top, you know, uh, currently sitting at two, a game out of number one. And so they seem to be ramping up. They've won 10 of the last 12 games that Giannis played in. So they, they seem to be getting into playoff form now. But I think the other reason they get slept on is because somehow everyone still sleeps on Giannis. I don't know how that could be. He, in the last three years, he's been the MVP twice, the defensive player of the year, and the finals MVP. But you rarely – I don't know if you saw, Joel Embiid did an interview with J.J. Redick and a couple others today, and Redick was telling Embiid that, yeah, you know, in the, the, in the um, MVP race between Embiid and Jokic, that meant two of the top three players in the NBA were in the race. And Embiid said, well, who's the third? And J.J. Redick said, oh, Kevin Durant. And Embiid immediately said, well, where's Giannis? He was like, this is disrespectful. This, is, this man's been like the MVP of everything. How is he not one of the top three players in the NBA? But I think a lot of people feel that way, and that, that, that's translating out with the way people feel about the Bucks. One of the other arguments against the Bucks going into last season in the playoffs was that Budenholzer, stubborn as a coach, doesn't adjust well, and they couldn't, they couldn't win playoff series because of it. They turn around, they win the championship. At this point, is the, is the, the perception changed on who Coach Bud is? You know, I think Coach Bud is in one of those situations where what they say about referees in, in a game is that the best thing is if they're not mentioned at all because <laughs> that means they don't stand out. You know, Coach Bud is a good coach. He's been a good coach for years, but you were right. He had such a perception that because he was too rigid, he couldn't win. That made him more of a story last year. I think the fact that he's not a story now is an indication that, you know what, things are going well. You know, they've, they've won a championship. You can't, you know, criticize him on that element anymore. And his team is, again, right in the mix and, and moving in the right direction going into the postseason. So I think the lack of chatter around him is probably a good thing uh, as far as the, the, the Bucks and, and, and their, their, their perception is concerned. Andre Snellings, ESPN's NBA senior writer, joining us. The Bucks take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight, Dre. And we had on Erin Dolan earlier in the show. She's a betting analyst for ESPN. And she said that the Nets are still the odds-on favorite to win the East. Are you surprised that the Nets are still garnering that kind of attention? I am not surprised that they're still getting that attention. Like, immediately after the finals ended last season, the Bucks won. The Suns were obviously the runner-up. As soon as the game ended, the odds came out for this year, and the future, the two teams with the best odds were the Nets and the Lakers. And so with the Lakers' implosion, there's no way to keep them that high. But even as recently as, like, the All-Star break, the Lakers were still considered in the mix as far as if you looked at the odds. They were probably top five in the West as far as odds, even though they were closer to 10th in, in, that, in that league. Well, with the Nets, it's a little different. They're, you know, in the 7-8 slot in the East, 
but everyone knows that Kyrie has been out the whole season. And so now that he's back, I think the thought of Kyrie and Kevin Durant playing together for a lot of people, you know, you, you hear on our airways, you know, people, oh, those are the two most skilled players to play together in NBA history, which I absolutely don't agree with. But, you know, that narrative, that notion is, is very seductive to people. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you take two of the, the two most skilled players in history to play together, they must be the best team. And that's not necessarily the case. And, and so they would not be my favorites to come out of the East. I don't even know if I have them as favorites to make it to the conference final. But um, I, I think that's where that perception comes from. The 76ers were everybody's favorite for about two seconds uh, right after the Harden acquisition. It was kumbaya. Everybody was getting along perfect. And look how great it was. Now not so much. So where are you on Philly? I think that – so, you know, I was not part of that everyone. Like, I'm <laughs> one that going into last season I had the Bucks number one, and I haven't come off that square. Um, I like Philly. I think that they're going through some growing pains. I think we were just talking about the Nets. They're going through some growing pain. Since Kyrie's come back, they're like a 500 team. Um, so I think that, that the, and then the Miami Heat have also been kind of struggling of late. So I would say behind the Bucks, I have the Heat 76ers and Nets all on a similar level as far as playoff potential. With the Celtics as the team that may, if Robert Williams, you know, is able to come back, be the one that jumps over all three of them as, in my mind, the biggest challenger to the Bucks because the Celtics, when, you know, these last couple of months, when everybody's on the court, they are a pretty dangerous team. So Williams' injury really hurts them in that respect. But Philadelphia, I think, I think they're good. I think they are a championship contending team. I think that the Bucks are better, but that Philadelphia could beat them, you know, if everything worked out right. So I've got them as a contender, but not really the favorite. Andre Snelling's ESPN senior writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Professor DRZ. Finally here, Dre, on the way out. You mentioned Boston there. We saw the C's lose to my Miami Heat last night. I had to find a way to mention that. Mm-hmm. But if, if I was to ask you, because you talked about how dangerous Boston could be, if I was to ask you, who do you trust more in terms of a deep run in the playoffs, Boston or Miami, what would your answer be? Ooh. Again, so much of it is tied to Robert Williams um, and, and, and the danger of the East. Like most seasons, you would feel like I would feel like a team like the Celtics should be able to get through the first round, maybe two, um, without you know even without uh, a player like Robert Williams in the fold because they still got their main superstars. But the East this season, if if, if if you know they could very well end up playing, you know the Nets or the Seventy Sixers or the Bucks, uh, you know as their first and second rounders, and if Williams isn't back then I, I don't think that, that they are quite what they could be. So I might trust the Heat more because they're healthier going in. And, you know, a guy like Kyle Lowry should be more valuable for them in the playoffs than he's been all season because he's, he's getting long in the tooth, but you don't have to play every day. There's no back-to-backs in the playoffs. So um, I think maybe the Heat, but the, the Celtics are right there. They are a dangerous out. We've always been friends, Andre. I appreciate that perspective. Andre (laughs) Snellings, ESPN senior writer. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Andre. All right. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, we take things down the stretch. This is Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Let me mention it with Andre Snellings that the Milwaukee Bucks, they take on the Brooklyn Nets tonight, a 7.30 p.m. tip-off. Two teams that people 
consider to be powerhouses in the East, even though the Nets certainly not in the position in terms of the standing to get that kind of respect. They're sitting at the eighth spot right now in the East. The Bucks are in the second spot in the East right now. Jason, I know you and I both believe in the Bucks more than we believe in the Nets, but could tonight change your mind? If the Nets make a statement here, how important would that be to you? Not at all. And I, like this is the moment where we got to be, in my mind, consistent in how we look at so much of the NBA. So the the Nets and Bucks have something in common that's important. They're judged by championships at this point. Like that's all we're gonna. The only success for the Nets will be hoisting the NBA. Like the, the Larry O'B. Anything short of that, no, right? And for the Bucks, now that they're a defending champion, that's how they are de- defined. Like this game is a nice moment for the Nets to come out and say, "Take me seriously." But realistically. It, whatever happens to this game, will it change these playoff seedings? Not tremendously. It, it might it might change the wiggle room for the, the Bucks, but for the Nets, uh, this is just another little, little brick in the road, a long road that they're going to have to get through based on the way they've played so far this season. I don't think that anything that happens tonight is necessarily going to change my mind about the postseason because also we're talking about a regular season game. I do think it'll be interesting to see how those guys show up to play against the Bucks. We don't have those concerns with KD. We, of course, do have those concerns with Kyrie. And it's been odd to see that he hasn't been available even when he has been available in terms of that vaccine mandate getting lifted. I think it's important that he show up tonight. I think it's important that the Nets show that they can hang with a team like the Bucks. But even if they were to go out there and beat the Bucks tonight, I'm not changing my mind about the fact that I'd put my money on the Bucks over the Nets in terms of this postseason. It is a regular season game we know everybody plays different in the postseason particularly superstars I mean you heard Andre say it there that Giannis is a different Giannis now as we kind of come down the home stretch here with six games left and frankly that's true as well when it comes to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving when guys have won rings before and they're at that superstar status they're going to take it up to another level in the postseason so it's hard to evaluate anything that happens down here in the stretch in the regular season yeah I feel like this matchup matters to the players involved a lot so it'll be more fiery than a typical regular season matchup but you're right when you get into a best of seven atmosphere that's when you see the best of these types of players because they've shown so much already and they bring so much in adjustments in the best of seven series the playoffs are when i'll really start to care about this matchup everything will get taken up to another level in the playoffs and it's a very different ball game when you're talking about a best of seven versus a one game sample size in the regular season Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz taking you down the stretch here on ESPN Radio. We have been hanging out with you since 3 p.m. Eastern, taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening. You can tweet to us at Jason Fitz, at Amber W790. We got a lot of help on today's show. Huge shout out to Ronnie Lane from Ronnie and T. Crass on 620 W. D-A-E in Tampa. He joined us to talk all things Bucks after Bruce Arian stepped down as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Todd Bowles is now in that position. Aaron Dolan joined us, ESPN Sports betting analyst. Of course, she joins us every week. She told us that the Nets still the odds-on favorite in the East, even though they're sitting at that eighth spot. Jeff Darlington joined us as well, ESPN NFL insider. He rained on our parade. He made things a little less fun in terms of the drama <laughs> department. He told us emphatically that the 
relationship between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians was not the problem here. It has nothing to do with why Bruce Arians has decided to retire as head coach. And Andre Snelling's breaking down all things NBA with us, ESPN's senior writer. He joined us on today's show as well. It's been an awesome one so far. Let's make it more awesome, Jason Fitz. It's time to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is Three and Out. Look at you with the little shoulder bop there. If you're watching on ESPN Plus, Jason Fitz is feeling it. Are you feeling Miami? the Miami Heat, or are you feeling Boston, the Boston Celtics, in terms of their chances here of making a deep playoff run? Who would you put your money on, Jason Fitz? See, this is a loaded question because I'm working with somebody that I know is going to is going to be listening closely to my answer. So now Don't when I give me. the answer, is it, uh, is it you know, am I, am I just trying to butter you up? I don't know. Am I just kissing your butt? I think it's Miami, and, you know, there's a couple of reasons. Like, Boston, you know, I think it's interesting if you talk to the analytics guys. The last half of the season has been great for Boston. The first half, it wasn't, but the shots really haven't changed. It's just they kept looking at the shots saying they will start to fall. Once they did, everything was fine. So, you know, I I could look at Boston and say, okay, they've been more consistent this year than their record shows in their approach. But when I think about the playoffs, I think about some level of how much do I, uh, how much do I trust a coach, and how much do I trust the veteran leaders on a team? Like that has to matter to me. There's no proof of concept for Boston in the playoffs, and as long as any team has Spolstra on the sidelines, I'm going to trust it. And it is funny because you mentioned earlier, like LeBron trying to get Spo, like that's where we're going now, uh, fired uh, early on. And I remember when we were having these narrative conversations about. Well, he's just not the right coach. And now he's one of the most respected, one of the few coaches in the league that I think everybody says, oh, you got a difference maker. So for me, if I'm looking at two teams and I've got one that clearly has a better coach, I'm going to go that way with it. So I go Miami. Spo should be the coach of the year this year. Listen up, NBA. I'm out here campaigning because nobody else is doing it. The Heat have been slept on all season long, even though they've been sitting atop of the East. But I don't think, frankly, that's what's important here when we're analyzing whether the Seas or the Heat are going to be better in terms of a playoff run. I think what's important here is how these teams fare in the postseason and I've seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Mar as great as those guys are I've seen them not get it done in the postseason before I've seen the Miami Heat in a finals not very long ago so I've certainly seen them get it done in the postseason I feel like because of that reason if I not just because I'm being a homer but if I had uh, if I had to choose here I would choose the Miami Heat in terms of who I would make the favorite to make a deep playoff run. I do think that Celtics team is obviously wildly talented, and and you can't ignore what they have done since the All-Star break. But last night, they had their relatively full squad given missing Robert Williams. Even without Robert Williams, they fared okay defensively, but it showed his importance to the team. The Heat were able to get it done last night. I think they'd be able to get it even more so uh, in the postseason. Moving on to the NFL, an ex-NFLer, I should say quarterback Colin Kaepernick was named an honorary captain for the Michigan Wolverines spring game. Jason Fitz, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, it's Michigan making a, a story, but I don't know what difference it really makes to anything like that's the 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 crazy thing at this point is that just the name Colin Kaepernick just it, it brings so much emotion to so many people on every side of every issue that it creates a conversation. But, you know, for Michigan, these are one of those things that Michigan's really good at doing. They're good at uh, as a football program. They're good at staying in the news. They're good at 
at finding ways to accomplish profile. They're good at all of these things. They're just not good at winning national championships. So, you know, for all of this, I look at, well, I mean, I'm just saying, like. There's a nice little story here about Colin Kaepernick as an honorary captain, and you just took a flamethrower to Michigan. I'm just saying that this is what Harbaugh does. Harbaugh finds nice little stories, so we talk about Michigan, which then maybe makes us forget that we should be talking about Harbaugh's lack of success at times for Michigan. That's all. Wow. Wow. And by the way, nice little photos that Michigan tweeted out here of Harbaugh with Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick looks very excited to be an honorary captain for the spring game and, of course, be around this team. I never think it's a bad idea to have NFL vets around these teams to help, of course, develop these kids even further. So shout out to Colin or to uh, Jim Harbaugh for doing that, I suppose. But. The flamethrower that you just no, yeah. took. Look, I don't care about March actors. I don't care about actors get honorary doctorates from schools that, that should give out real degrees. And I don't care about football players that didn't go to Michigan getting honorary captain for Michigan games. Like, eh. Okay. I am, I'm, well, I'm just the worst. You really? I mean, you are Debbie Downer today. <laughs> as, no kidding. Like, as that came out, I was like, God, I'm not, I, I don't even like myself right now. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see how you rain on this one. Okay. Let's see. Let's see if uh, Jason Fitz can spoil this one for us. The United States, they are going, the United States, uh, there's also, there's more than one of them. I don't know what I was doing there, making that singular. The United States, which is where we live. I'm very familiar with that place. Uh, they booked a spot to the 2022 World Cup. Jason Fitz, try to ruin this one for us. Look, I, I was surprised they even played the game. I would have forfeited the game because all they had to do was not lose by six to get that spot in. A forfeit is a, counts as a 3 nothing loss. I'd have taken the sure thing. Uh, proud of them that they went in and played. But more importantly, Taylor Twelman, who might not only be one of the best-looking men at ESPN, but also by far has the best hair at ESPN, is going to be so happy, rightfully so. He has been tough on the men's team for a long time. Uh, getting that, that 2022 World Cup spot is a big, big deal, all, all kidding aside. It is a very big deal. It, it's Qatar? Cater? Katar. Katar. That's where it will be. Um, And it was largely a formality. The U.S. lost 2-0 to Costa Rica on Wednesday. They still manage to to secure one of CONCACAF's three automatic bursts along with the group winner, Canada, and rival Mexico. So the U.S. men's team is headed to the World Cup. Jason Fitz didn't find a way to rain on that parade. He has not found a way to rain on... I mean, let's see how they do once they get there. I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You would. You would. Oh, man. That is. Listen, we're there. We're there. That's what what matters. Uh, You got to believe in Pulisic, right? You got to believe. You also have to believe in Spain and Fitz. Hey, that's your show. Yeah, you know what? Sarah's going to hold it down tonight. I think Courtney Cronin's hanging out with Sarah. So it's a it's a girl power uh, two hours for Spain and Fitz tonight. Spain and Fitz! Spain and Fitz. This has been ESPN Radio Afternoons with Amber Wilson and Jason Fitz. Courtney Cronin and Sarah Spain next.